Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law, and the show is for August 27th. We are speaking midday on Thursday. On this episode, we're going to dig into top prospects of 2021, sort of looking back at Keith's list from February and just seeing how these players have done in their debuts or at their various minor league levels. And I think it was kind of inspired just by Edward Cabrera showing up, and I've mentioned this before, Keith, I peruse a lot of prospect lists just because I'm a curious fellow, as they say, and I think you might be as high on Edward Cabrera, the Marlins pitcher who debuted on Wednesday, you might be about as high on him as anybody I've seen looking across various rankings. Um, I thought he looked pretty good in the debut, especially getting six and a third from anybody that debuted. That alone is impressive. But I thought he was locating his pitches pretty well. Uh, obviously made a couple of mistakes, gave a couple of home runs, walked a few guys. But it was, to me, more good than bad when you actually watched how he was attacking hitters. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. I mean, it's one of the best changeups of any prospect that any prospect had in minor league baseball coming into this year. And honestly, the only reason I have not didn't rank him higher in my midseason report was that he missed some time at the beginning of this year. Um, never required surgery, just needed some rehab. But he had, I think it was a, um, I think he was bicep tendonitis. I'd have to dump. Don't take that to the bank. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. But then he came back and he was, I had reports pretty quickly. He was fine. He was throwing hard again. Um, you know, it's up to a hundred. It's a knockout change up. We'll see how the breaking ball comes along. And that I think determines what his ceiling is. But yeah, it's, it's really good. I mean, my argument coming into the year, I think I had him over Sixto Sanchez because, um, Sixto had already had some arm trouble. Nothing super serious yet, but then now obviously he has, whereas Cabrera had a, somewhat better health history. And I thought Cabrera had the better secondary, best secondary pitch of any, any um, of both of their secondary pitches in that change up. Um, and I think now that Sixto is out and we don't, you know, after shoulder surgery, we don't know what his future is going to be. They're depending a little bit more on Cabrera than they were. The Marlins have a pretty incredible uh, staff come uh, collection of pitching prospects coming. Uh, but Cabrera he's the best. He's one or one A in that group. I don't think I have got anybody who's clearly ahead of him. We'll see how Jake Eater comes along. But they're really, um, yeah, I think it's fair to say they're, they're kind of counting on him. This Marlins team could be very good in a year or two, and it's going to be on the strength of run prevention. Cabrera, I would expect to be a huge part of that. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the run prevention, pitching and defense model, it's on full display in Milwaukee right now, but the Marlins could be a team that is built more in that vein. He put a couple of pieces in via free agency, I think at some point they will be able to supplement the roster and spend some money because they spend so little right now. There actually is room to kind of scale things up when they feel like everything 
falls into place. And they've had a lot of things go right with their young players this year. I know the 6-0 injury is a pretty big setback, but having Cabrera healthy at the end of the season, the season they've got from Jazz Chisholm, to me, also more good than bad, and maybe a little bit of validation for a trade that I think they were pretty heavily criticized for at the time when they flipped Zach Gallen to get him. Yeah, I love that trade for them. Now, Gallon has, I think Gallon, I think I underestimated Gallon. Gallon's a better pitcher um, than I gave him credit for at the time of the trade. But I would still do that. I'd still absolutely make that deal for the Marlins to get somebody with Chisholm's kind of upside. Um, you know, you've seen the electric bat speed. You've seen he's a plus-plus runner. Um, you've seen the, the hard contact he's capable of making. You know, he's 23. But in baseball terms, he's even a bit behind that because um, because he's from the Bahamas and the kids who we've seen a lot of really talented athletes come through. It's all coming through kind of one particular program in the Bahamas now um, that's producing some pretty good prospects. But the hitters in particular are just behind, right? They are they have not had the same kind of experience that players coming from other international. Um, other places where we sign international free agents, most kids out of the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Mexico, Panama, et cetera, or the Pacific Rim, they've had more experience facing better pitching. And so, and that's where Chisholm's weakness is, right? He barely does not walk very much. He strikes out a lot. Some of his off-speed pitch recognition is not great, but his tools are just ridiculous. And I still think there's quite a bit of growth left in him. I think he's going to end up... Uh, you know, my fear with him was not that he couldn't play shortstop, but he might end up too big for shortstop. I think he's going to be a 25 to 30 homer guy. And his ceiling is really going to be determined by what his what his approach ends up being. But I, I looked at this year, especially, you know, he struggled last year uh, in his debut. And I thought, well, he's probably not ready. They pushed him a little bit too much, but he's more than held his own this year. He's just a slightly above league average hitter as it is. And I just think there's a lot, there's just so much growth potential remaining here because of the fact that, like I said, he's just behind for his age. He's had less experience, even not counting the pandemic. He's just less experience facing good pitching than the typical 23-year-old, regardless of where they come from. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to keep in context, just where a player was growing up and the type of competition they could see there critically important for, for Chisholm. I think the other interesting thing is that you can apply the, the pandemic year to this rookie class in general and probably say there's a reason why, as a group, this set of top prospects looks pretty good or has largely even struggled in some cases. But the reason they have not come up and thrived as a group, I think, is in part because of the lost 2020 season, right? Development took a huge turn for the worst last year. Yes. Oh, I think that we're. it's going to be a year or two before we can really do a fair assessment of what those how what those prospects have what all prospects have lost those who've lost something what they've lost how much do some players never recover from what they lost last year we don't know i think it'll be a while before we do know i do think there will be players who are permanently um whose career paths are permanently permanently altered by the pandemic um i worry more about hitters i don't think that's any great insight right it's just hitters need reps hitters need at bats Hitters need to be challenged by facing better and better pitching. And whereas pitchers, you know, there's an argument to be made that some pitchers might be better for the time off last year. Pitchers who just basically missed the whole year, who just threw maybe some at the alternate site, maybe that's going to be better for some arms in the long term. I don't think we know that for sure. It's a, a it's an interesting hypothesis, but I'm definitely worried there will be some hitters who'll just, they needed the 500 reps they didn't get 
last year. They needed them. They'll never really get them back. Maybe those guys develop later, but maybe some of them just never develop at all, which is lousy. But I, I also don't know an answer, right? It's not like I'm not particularly sanguine about winter leagues happening this year too for guys to – there are plenty of opportunities or in a normal year, there would be plenty of opportunities for guys to make up the lost at-bats. But we'll see. You know, We're hoping we'll have an Arizona fall league. We're hoping there'll be some winter leagues, but there's always a chance that those won't happen or they'll be canceled or curtailed because of the ongoing pandemic and that just further sets these kids back. Yeah, I wonder if we'll see more players get sent to the fall league in anticipation of further issues with winter leagues. I wonder if that's how teams are going to try and, and handle that for players that need to try and make up for that lost development time. Uh, but I'm looking through just the rookie leaderboards right now, just in terms of Fangraph's war. And we talked about Jonathan India last week. He's taken a pretty nice lead on that leaderboard, putting a really nice season together. There's some surprising names in there. Adelis Garcia, who was tearing up the league for a while in the first half has really kind of come back to earth in the uh-huh. second half of the season. You know, Randy Arozarena, who doesn't count really as a rookie in my head, even though he technically does he count technically as a rookie. One. Like he, he yeah. belongs there. Even he's had a, a bit of a step back from the unsustainable, amazing level. Right. We couldn't, he, was at. Right, he couldn't do that forever. No, there was, right? there was like no way. Not actually Babe Ruth. Yes. Babe Ruth plays for the angels. So it's not clearly it wasn't going to be him. Yeah, exactly. And you see like Patrick wisdom, like an org guy getting an opportunity. There's not a very bright future there. He's striking out almost 40% of the time. I know, but I kind of like to see it. Cause I remember him from when he was, when he was in college, right? Kind of liked him. I thought there was something there. It's nice to see that guy get a moment, even though I agree with you. This is not, you know, Patrick Wisdom is not going to be a star. He's probably not going to be a regular. But good for if this is the best he ever gets in the big leagues, that's great. I love seeing that. By the way, I just want to point out, Adelise Garcia, since the All-Star break, now it's only 35 games, but he's striking out a third of his plate appearances. He has a 238 on base percentage. Like, yeah. I mean, that was just clearly never going to work, right? All his, such a ridiculous percentage of his hits we're going for home runs. There's always a thing. This is more for prospects, but I think this applies to the majors. When you're hitting lots of home runs and no doubles, that's generally not a great sign of how you're getting there, right? You're, you're hitting some mistakes and you're crushing them, but you're not really hitting, hitting, right? This is not good feel to hit. And he was doing that and not walking and striking out a huge percentage of the time. Everything indicated that this was a fluke. And I mean, even with the horrible second half, baseball reference still has been three war for the year, which is pretty... You know, I mean, he could stop right now, and that's a heck of a rookie year. But I wouldn't be investing much in Adelis Garcia futures right now. No, I mean, if you said he's not going to get three WAR in the next se- three seasons combined, I'd say yeah, that, that could actually play out that way. I mean, this is that type of profile. It's high risk, high reward. Playing time falls out quickly, and suddenly he's a hey, remember that guy? Like, and I, I think unfortunately, <laughs> yes, he's laying the groundwork to be hey, look at that guy. Remember that guy? But yep. uh, the other names that are kind of surprising on this leaderboard, Tyler Stevenson, who we talked about last week, having a really nice year in Cincinnati, and then Dalton Varsho, who since the All-Star break has been one of the best hitters in the league. Uh, one of the few good things happening in Arizona so far this season, and I don't know where you think he's going to fit defensively long-term, but that bat is absolutely going to play. Yeah, I he's not a catcher. I don't think he's a catcher. Also, they have Carson Kelly, who's really good, like a really good defensive catcher. I mean, I know from when Varsho was but going back to the draft and when he was coming up as a prospect, the thing the Diamondbacks folks all said, no, he can catch. We believe he can catch. He can definitely catch. And then other scouts would all say he can't catch, but he could really hit. Um, he could really run. Like for a catcher, actually, it was almost the um, 
hey, this guy's too good of an athlete to leave him behind the plate anyway. Let's move him out. There was a lot of talk. I believe he played some second base in the minors. There was was talk about him being at second base. Now, the majors, it's just been mostly centered with some left field. I think he's going to hit enough to be a good regular, even in an outfield corner. would love to see him play somewhere in the middle of the diamond. I I just don't think catcher is his future, but I do think he can hit. I know a lot of people, and I was not you know, even coming out of the draft, there was so much question of, well, he can't catch. So what position does he have? And in the draft, that's often enough to really push a guy down and say, well, he's not that good of a prospect because we don't even know where he's going to play. But once he got in a pro ball, it became clear, no, this kid could really hit. And he's a better athlete than folks were giving him credit for, I think, out of the draft too. Then it became more, um, I think then it, it the conversation around a player shifts then. It's like, no, no, no. He's going to hit enough to profile everywhere. You're not kidding about that second half, by the way. 307, 402, 670, triple slash line after he was 12 for 84 in the first half with a 250 on base percentage. Like, Good job, Dalton. I would say that is that is an adequate turnaround. That's a great turnaround. And the playing time was a bit wobbly in the first half, too, which I always yes. feel like contributes to a young player struggling. Like, If you're going to let yeah. a young player come up, Play him nearly every day. I give him a day or two off if he's going into a deep slump, but yeah. don't do the one day in, two days out, two days in, one day out. I think that's horrible for development. I don't know anybody who disagree, right? If you talk to player development people, which obviously I do a lot, no one would ever say, yeah, we, we just want to ease him in and maybe play him two, three times a week. Like that becomes something you do out of necessity um because you have a need for a bench player because you don't have enough playing time the guy is not being sufficiently challenged at AAA and therefore you know we're going to bring him up and just ease him a little bit I could see the Royals doing this at the end of the year with Bobby Witt Jr. and Nick Prado or just continue to rake all the way up through AAA okay great let's you know we'll bring him up and just give him a quick taste but in terms of taste of major league pitching but in terms of long-term development no you'd rather have the guy playing every day and you you if it means leaving him in AAA, say a couple more weeks, while you wait for a clear clear spot for regular playing time in the majors, then you do that. I don't know anybody who'd argue that players are benefit players would benefit from um from irregular playing time at a higher level. Like you'd never do that in the minors, right? You never ever see a guy get promoted from AA to AAA, but we only play him three times a week in AAA. So obviously, it's not what you think from a development perspective. You are shoehorning him into the major league roster or saying well this is all the playing time we have to give the player but not thinking as much about the long-term growth of that player it's really he's a hitter right we never talk with pitchers it's the opposite i love seeing pitchers worked into the majors in like long relief or you know tandem starters different ways that kind of ease them in it's a completely different philosophy on the pitching side. And I think there's enough anecdotal evidence of that development path working, going back to Earl Weaver's teams in the seventies that, you know, whether it's proven or not, I think there's enough anecdotal evidence to support its continued usage. Yeah. I think some of the historical usage of pitchers, it's kind of come back around in a weird way because it felt like for the better part of the last 20 years, teams would look at a pitcher and go, can you give us six? No, let's yeah. give us one. It's like, well, there are numbers between one and six and, if you give me three, that's better than giving me one inning at a time. And I, I think teams are finally seeing that there's a lot of value in that because it gives you it gives you a chance as a, a pitcher that might be kind of caught in between. Maybe you've got two good pitches. You're working on that third one. You can at least get to the lineup one time as a reliever. But if that third pitch gets better, you're stretched out enough to be a starter. You don't have to go back down to the minors, make three or four starts, and then come back up to actually contribute in the rotation. So I think it gives you more flexibility in the 26-man roster, too, to have 
some of your pitchers who are close to being in the rotation working in that more flexible swing role. Yes. I mean, to me, that is um, that I've even when I was with the Blue Jays, I wanted us to try to and I was just one voice. I'm not blaming anybody. It's just one opinion in the room. But I wanted to see us try to work guys in in that role. And I felt like like Kelvin Escobar, which that started even before we got there. So I'm not taking any credit for anything. But there were certain points where I thought he benefited from being worked in and kind of more of a relief role before trying to start him. And, you know, we didn't do him any favors. He was a little banged up when I was there, et cetera. That, you know, he he was better, I think, after he ended up leaving the Blue Jays in that case. And we can maybe bear some responsibility for that. But, uh, you know, I always liked that idea. I knew that that was Earl Weaver's old philosophy. It seemed like there was good evidence for it. It was also a better way to build a bullpen than to go out and buy a bunch of relievers. The problem we kept running into, and I think a lot of bad teams right now would say the same thing, is we don't have enough starters to do that. You know, we got to call this prospect up and make him a starter because we don't have five other starters. And so, you know, or we don't have enough pitchers to run a bunch of bullpen games. So you end up seeing young starters maybe pushed into starter roles in the majors, even though it would be preferable to work them in as long relievers even if the teams say no we'd love to break this guy in as a as, you know as a swing man or something but we just don't have that option because everyone feels like they're not enough pitching and i think that's worse this year too where it seems like we've seen more pitcher churn across the league whether that's the result of the pandemic or teams just taking advantage of the extra roster spot i don't know yeah it feels like a little bit of both but i think a lot of this sort of comes back to this idea that we need to find a better way to define success for a young player. I mean, if you come up as a rookie or very young player and you have even average production at the first 400 plate appearances, that's Mm -hmm. actually a really good player. Now, I think we all want players to come up and do stuff like what Wander Franco has done in his first 49 games. He, if he were up all year, he'd be on pace for like a five win season. And yeah, we'd be losing our good. minds. He's he's pretty good. He's he's pretty good. Every yeah. bit as good as advertised, really. I mean, 274, 333, 457 so far, a 120 WRC plus, the five win pace based on Fangraph's war, 15.7% K percentage. That's that's the thing that's amazing to me, Keith, is you have so many young players who come up, and because of that gap that we've talked about between AAA and the big leagues, the K rate, even if it was really good in the upper levels of the minor leagues, jumps up 7 to 10 percentage points. And all of a sudden, you have a, a guy who was striking out about 20% of the time, striking out close to 30% of the time. There was never a doubt about Wander's hit tool. I don't think anybody anywhere was saying, oh, this guy's not going to hit. That's never been the case. But I just think hitting the ground running like this is increasingly impressive because of the current context of the league. Yeah, the uh, it's funny. By baseball reference, actually, I think he's closer to a six-win, six-war pace. Uh, not that I mean it's whatever it's great either they're both great right um, yeah, it's funny too cause it, you know one of big Franco's big things in the minors especially in the low minors he'd walk as much as he struck out because he never struck out you know his walk rates were good but it was just that this guy never struck out and the fact that now he's striking out twice as often as he's walking you know on the one hand it's almost like oh, I thought he'd do better than that and then you remember oh no he's 20 in the majors where everybody strikes out a quarter of the time that this is, I, I think I, it, it seems it will probably sound absurd to say this about a guy who's on, let's say, a five and a half win pace right now. This isn't even the best of him, right? I think there's quite a bit more there. 
Like he is on pace for, he'd be about, I don't know, 17, 18 home runs. I think there's more power there. He's only, only hitting 274 as a 20 year old in the big leagues right now. No, I think he's going to hit for more average than that. Like if this is what he's doing now and he's just scratching the surface, why can't he be an eight win player at his peak? I mean, he will be. I really absolutely, health permitting, believe that's what he's going to end up as. This just, you know, from seeing some of his at bats, and now just also looking at the stat line too, that it supports, it all sort of points to the same thing. You no, know, this is, this, this is a future star. This is exactly what everyone, I mean, every, everybody agreed he was the best prospect in baseball. I think we've been all saying that for two years now. Um, and this is exactly what you hoped for. And I just, like I said, I think it's going to just, he is going to continue to get better the more he plays. So the word of caution here is that if you compare the other rookies to wander, they're not going to stack up favorably. They just can't. But th- there are plenty of other good rookie performances. They're not all just pitchers either. And I think it's kind of fun to figure out where do you draw the lines? I mean, Alex Kirilov got hurt. Rookie season got cut short. I don't think the the slash line alone, if you look at that, 251, 299, 423, that's not the kind of slash line where you go, that's good. But if you look at it in context, a 94 WRC plus the first time you see big league pitching. Okay, he's holding his own. Mm-hmm. He's not striking out at an uncontrollable rate. 22.5% is acceptable for a first-time big leaguer. And then if you look at how much damage he was doing when he was making contact, he was 29th out of 360 qualified players in barrels per plate appearance. I'm in on Kirilov. I think he's an impact oh, he bat. Hit. I think what he yeah. was showing us is a really encouraging sign if you're a Twins fan. Uh, he can really hit. I've, I've been in on the bat. Pretty much since he was drafted. I'm a little surprised that he, he graded out kind of poorly defensively in the outfield. Now it is, he was also moved between left and right and some first. And so maybe that didn't help. He was actually worst in, of, of all those positions in left field, um, which he also played the least. So maybe that was just a lack of familiarity. I don't think Karoloff's ever going to be a star defender in the outfield, but I thought it'd be average. And I think he will still be average. And that may also be pulling down. If you just look at the war figure, that may also be uh, pulling him down a bit. And he's not walked very much, which is keeping the on-base percentage down. But again, the fact that he's not striking out very much, he does not have a history of being any kind of hacker at the plate. If anything, I think it's just, he is the type of hitter who his approach is more, no, I can actually hit everything. And I'm not saying that is in a derogatory way. It's not the hobby bias. I can hit everything. And then he swings a lot of things he can't hit or can't hit well. In Kirilov's case, actually, he probably can hit a lot of those pitches. Now, it may be about making better choices, right? Better swing decisions to say, we understand you can hit that, but maybe take that pitch to try to get something else that you can drive more effectively. That's the kind of thing I would expect him to uh, to continue to develop going forward. I would also say Kirilov is one of those guys who may have been adversely affected by the shutdown, right? Because he missed a whole year with, um, he missed 2017 because he had Tommy John surgery. He was a two-way player in high school, had Tommy John surgery, came back, was incredible in 2018, was very good in 2019. And then um, in 2020, right, didn't play. He actually was on the playoff roster, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he debuted. Uh, that was his, right. It was his debut, one of the Mark Kiger all-stars. <laughs> um, so he got some alternate site time, but not Right. He missed a, a whole bunch of at bats. So essentially in, he was drafted in 16. Is that right? Um, yeah, he was 15th overall in 2016. So since then in one, two, three, he would have had four full seasons between then and now coming into this year. He, um, he missed two full seasons of at bats and now he's missing a huge portion of this season as well. And so next year he's going to be 24 and oh my God, I mean, he's 
I think I'm going to have, I'm trying to do the math quickly in my head, it's going to have about 1,500 pro plate appearances as a 24-year-old who was drafted out of high school. That's a lot of lost time. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it doesn't adversely impact him. But I, he's perfect example of a guy I would worry about um, in that because, you know, when you combine the lost time from last year with the lost time from the previous injury – and now he's losing time this year, too. Yeah, the actual age versus the baseball age here might yeah. be a couple of years off for Alex Kirilov. Let's talk about Dylan Carlson for a moment because he's walking more and he's striking out less than he did in his debut. And I think this has to be considered a successful follow-up, even though we're really not seeing a lot of power from him yet. And part of that is the park. St. Louis is a pretty difficult place to hit for power, so that works against him a little bit. But what would you tell a Cardinals fan who is disappointed in Dylan Carlson right now? Well, he's really young also. And still, what is he, win and a half this year? I'm looking at baseball reference here. I assume you have fan graphs. Uh, we can have like a war <laughs> war here, right? My war is better than your war. Um, look, I actually think for a 22-year-old, um, you know, jumping to the majors, this is great. I'm, I'd be very happy with his rookie season so far. Uh, I did not expect him to hit, you know, 25 to 30 home runs this year. Um, I think he's going to get there at some point. Uh, I think the fact that he is like his plate discipline is as good as it is. It was, it, this was a huge strength of his in the minors and it is a pretty significant improvement from what we saw from him last year to this year. That's a very positive sign. The Cardinals have not shied away from using him at the tops of their top of their lineup frequently. He's getting extra at bats against starters. I'm sure I have not looked. I'm going to assume because of where he hits in the lineup. He's probably seen a pretty tough batch of relievers too. They've just really, like I said, they've really not shied away from using him in those, um, in, in spots where he's likely to face the best possible competition. And he's done fine. Like this is, I wonder if we, and I include myself in this, have we been spoiled by how many guys have come up from the minors and just mashed right away? Like this is a very good season for a 22 year old who'd obviously lost some playing time too, due to the pandemic. Um, and who still has quite a bit of upside left. And I still think has a lot of power growth left. And I expect that he will continue to like next year. Maybe next year is the breakout year, right? This year was a very solid rookie year. And next year he makes a big step forward in that in you know, not just uh, batting average, but like what the amount of damage he's doing on contact, for example, or we see the walk rate continue to move up. It's close to 10% right now. I bet you would be better than that next year. It would be more like what I think of as a traditional rookie's career path as opposed to sort of now where so many guys have just come in and they're four war players right out of the chute. Plenty of room in baseball for the guy who does kind of a slow burn and this is his age 22 season. Maybe it's not next year. Maybe it's the year after that. But age 24, 25, I still think Carlson's going to be an all-star at that point. It just may not happen right away. And that's fine. The most important thing I would say for Cardinals fans is he didn't flop. He was not completely overmatched. And even we saw Kalanick completely flop. And then since he came back, he's been better. He's been maybe not exactly what we all forecasted, but he's been better. That just to remember, there's multiple ways to get it done, to eventually get to that point as a hitter. They don't all have to be start. It's nice if they're stars right out of the shoot, take some pressure off, but not every prospect is going to follow that exact career path. No, they're not all Soto, Tatis, or Acuna, or Jordan yeah. Alvarez even as a hitter just came up yeah. and, and hit right away. Yeah. Acuna is the one I always think of where it was like, he looked like he was rushed. I mean, they were pushing him fast up the minors, and then he got to the majors. So, oh, okay, I guess not. Yeah, so I guess you guys are right. Uh, so Kelnick, I'm glad you mentioned him. He's been a league average offensive player in August. 
easily his best month for plate discipline. He's getting to that power a little bit more often. And yeah, yeah, if you looked at the overall numbers, if you just checked in now on Kelnick for the first time, you'd freak out. Like, oh my Looks goodness, horrible. what's wrong with him? <laughs> yeah, he's striking out 28% of the time, but he's actually, for the season, walking nearly 10% of the time. So I, I'm still optimistic on Kelnick. I don't think he's shown us anything through 58 games that would make me say, okay, he's not the guy we thought he was. This still seems like it's in the range of, of normal adjustments for a young player seeing big league pitching for the first time. Yeah, I mean, even... In August, right, at 226 batting average on balls in play. Do you really think that's who he is as a hitter? Guy who's hit everywhere. Analysts buy it. Scouts have loved him. Do we really think that he's just going to continue to not have hits when he's putting the ball in play and putting it in play reasonably hard? No, I don't believe that. So, you know, I'm still all in on Kellenic. Um And I'm actually really... I'm glad to see him bounce back from obviously an atrocious first go round in the majors. And I'll give Seattle credit too. It's, you know, we were all sort of, you know, what, what, there's no playbook, right? There's no exact plan. What do you do when a player who's this good, this highly touted, who you, who you're banking on to this degree comes up and is as awful as Kalanick was? I mean, the, what, 23 games through the first half of the season, he wasn't even hitting a hundred, um, with a 185 on base. That is, I mean, way below replacement level. Even though he's been better in August, he's still, you know, negative, uh, well into the negative war for the season. But what Seattle did seems to have helped. He's come back. He's been better. He's continued to, obviously, mentally, you know, continued to, um, it, it didn't crush him, right? And I know these are adults and we don't expect that to happen, but certainly, like, that was a pretty awful debut, right? He came, obviously went down, he mashed in AAA, he came back up, and he's been better. And that's, Great. It's exactly what you want to see. It's not the rookie season I would have forecasted for Kalanick, but I like that we're seeing uh, we're seeing growth, that the trend line is pointing up. That's all I would ask at this point. Yeah, the first whiff of failure didn't send him into a permanent tailspin for the entire year. I think that bodes really well for him in the long run as well. Uh, Andrew Vaughn has very quietly been above average pretty consistently mm-hmm. throughout the season. A little bit of a slow start if you go back to April, but a 113 WRC+. Plus has a shot at 20 homers. He's got 15 entering play on Thursday, so a good September could get him there. And I think people are just sort of like, yeah, okay, whatever, and they talk about everybody else on that team. But what do you think the ceiling is for Andrew Vaughn? I mean, do you see him as a guy that could maybe hit, I don't know, like at an MVP level is a hard ceiling to put on any sort of player. But I thought as a prospect, there were some things in his profile that really reminded me of Chris Bryant a few years ago where he controls Mm -hmm. the zone really well, doesn't strike out a lot, and I think has enough raw power to eventually be a 30-plus home run guy. Do you think that's still a a fair description of what Vaughn could bring us in the not-so-distant future? Uh, Yeah, I think I'm still a big believer in Vaughn's bat. I think he's kind of unsexy as a player. No offense, Andrew. But (laughs) that's probably why people are sort of sleeping on him a little bit. And it's not there's nothing in the stat line that is wow also, right? It's not like he has 25 home runs now, and then we'd be talking about him. He's got 15. I'd be very surprised if he fell short of 20. I'm also not sure he's ever really a 30-homer hitter. He might be. The swing is very quiet. There's a little Goldschmidt to the swing, and obviously I was very light on Goldschmidt as a prospect. And one reason was that I didn't think the swing had kind of big power in it. But Goldschmidt, such a disciplined hitter, it's, again, such a quiet, simple approach, and Goldschmidt was hitting the ball really hard. Um, If Vaughn shows he can do that, could he get to 30 homers? Yeah, I'd probably still bet the under. The part of his game I think will improve substantially in the future. He's actually walking less than 10% of the time. It's a 328 on base percentage. 
one of his main calling cards as a college hitter was he was exceptionally disciplined. And I would not say in any way was passive. He really knew balls from strikes. I mean, he, I saw him and Adley Rutschman in the same game. I love Adley Rutschman. He's my number one prospect in the minors right now. I think Adley Rutschman's going to be top five on some MVP ballots in his peak years. But I liked Vaughn's approach at the plate even better. I thought Vaughn was the more purely disciplined player. Rutschman got pitched around a lot and nothing, nothing against Rutschman. As I said, I'm very much a believer in him as a prospect, but Vaughn struck me as having just an exceptional idea of the strike zone. And he's going to end this year probably with 45 to 50 walks. I'd be surprised if he plays a full year next year, if he doesn't walk 70 times and probably see commensurate improvements in batting average and show a little bit more power. Maybe it's more doubles power, but that suddenly that stat line starts to look a bit more, more Chris Bryanty, but I would probably still go with the under on power. Bryant just always had the big, big fly power, and Vaughn's swing is not like that. Vaughn's swing, if Vaughn, Vaughn's power is hard line drive power, more of the Goldschmidt type, and then, you know also compare them because they're both right-handed hitters, and you know we don't. I think um, you know I may be falling a little bit for a stereotype of a certain type of right-handed hitter and trying to avoid that. Right, that's what happened with me on Goldschmidt. And in this case, would see him would, I'm trying to look at Vaughn and say, no, there may be more power than my gut reaction to the swing actually indicates. We'll see if he hits the ball harder going forward. Yeah, some of the stat cast numbers are pretty encouraging. The max EVs is way up at 115 miles per hour. I think that's 95th percentile for Vaughn. Uh, so really, it's just a question of getting the ball in the air even more than he has to this point, which he's, he did at high A. But it's a big jump. That's the thing that makes what he's doing so impressive, right? You lose the 2020 season. The last competitive games Andrew Vaughn played in were at high A in 2019. So I think if you haven't really taken notice of what he's done so far, take notice and appreciate it because it's actually a really nice rookie season that he has put together. I want to talk about Kip Brian Hayes with you for a moment because the batted ball profile now versus what we saw in that brief debut last season is very different. A lot more balls on the ground from Hayes. I know he's always been more of that hit tool over power sort of guy, and people would say, well, maybe the power will develop, and eventually, down the road, 20-plus home runs are a possibility. Defense has always been great. That's been the case so far. He's going to be a long-term big leaguer. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but this is a pretty big step back from what he flashed in that brief debut. And even if you didn't believe everything you saw in 2020, I think it's easy to be disappointed when you see the gap between what was happening and what is happening with him at the plate right now. Yeah, five homers in September last year. Five homers this entire season so far. He's been hurt. I know that, and that may have impacted it as well. Um, and I do think there's going to be more power. I think O'Brien will be a 15 homer guy, maybe 15 to 20 homer guy down the road. But when I made my preseason predictions, it did not list him as a rookie of the year candidate in the NL. Pirates fans were angry. Um, you know, they got to get angry over something. And well, oh, you just forgot him. And my argument was. Brian's skill set is not generally rewarded by voters. He's a defensive wizard. I mean, God, he's like I mean, his D war right now on baseball reference, win and a half. That's far more than his offensive war. Um, you know, but the majority of the value he's contributed to the Pirates this year has been on defense because he is an elite defensive third baseman. Um, and I think, I mean, and that's, that's just what he is. That's what he's always been. That is what he will be. He'll win gold gloves. Um, you know, per, he's probably got to hit more to win gold gloves because I think that's how that works, but he will, he's going to win a gold glove at some point, probably more than one. He's tremendous. And I think there's going to be more 
offensive production in there going forward. But what we saw last year was it was it, the biggest thing is it was September, and in a pandemic shortened season, it pro, it's just not reliable. And so to see what he did last year, which was super fun, and actually argued he should have won Rookie of the Year last year. He's actually eligible again, right? Because he didn't get enough at bats because he was so productive in that month. I would have been completely fine with him winning because he produced enough to do that. But I'm also not shocked that he has taken what appears to be a step back when, in fact, this is probably more what we should have expected from him coming up in the first place. Um, maybe a little bit. I would have probably predicted a little more um, – a little more batting average on balls in play. Right? A little more batting, been a little more straight batting average. He's always been a pretty good contact hitter. He's always had doubles power. It's not big fly power. The fact that he's only hitting 249 with a strikeout rate that's well below 25%. Yeah, that's a little surprising to me. Do I think that's permanent? No, no. I think he's a better hitter than that. I think he's going to turn out to be a great player. But I bet you he's a player who will also always be underrated by people who aren't, you know, doing what we're doing, starting to look at even, I mean, these are the most superficial of advanced stats, but you do have to go sort of one level deeper to appreciate how valuable a player Hayes is already and how valuable he's going to be going forward. Yeah, definitely among the pirates that you could see being on the next good team in Pittsburgh, for sure, being a big part Mm -hmm. of those teams, because I think he's going to be there for a long, long time. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Let's talk about some pitching. Casey Mize has put together a really nice follow-up to his 2020 debut. I think my only question is, where are the strikeouts? I just thought he'd be a strikeout per inning guy, and he's not even really close to that so far. I think he's sitting at about 7Ks per nine. The control's better than it was when he debuted last year. If you're hoping for Ks from Casey Mize, are they coming in 2022, or have you seen some things that gave you some pause about that actually being something he's going to bring uh, in line with other top-end pitchers? Well, so his Go-to pitch at Auburn, his real out pitch was his splitter. And he's not throwing it very much. He's only throwing it 14% of the time this year. It was 18% of the time last year. And, uh, you know, it's clearly by design. This is the pitching plan for him. Now, it may be that they felt like, you know, it's, uh, some people believe that pitch increases your risk of injury. I think the the evidence on that is is unconvincing. Um also, like everybody gets hurt, right? I mean, now I sound like an old school guy, but <laughs> if, they're going to get hurt anyway. If that pitch increases your risk of an elbow injury by 5%, it's not by 50%. So 
and plenty of guys have been able to throw splitters for a very long time without getting hurt in if you go to um japan korea taiwan they throw splitters pretty often and and they pitch more um they pitch on a different schedule and uh in those professional leagues there and i believe that's true for amateur players there as well and i don't think there's any evidence those guys are getting hurt more often either so in this case if the, if they're discouraging mice from using the splitter to keep him healthy that seems misguided to me i don't know if that's actually true i wonder if it was more hey you that's the pitch you probably command the least so let's have you work on some other things and so he's been much more of a sinker slider or sinker four seamer slider guy this year and that's great he's pounding the strike zone with those um those pitches have all been pretty effective and you know i would say he's a little you know the slider has been better than i would have graded it out as going back to when i saw him at auburn um but if you want swings and misses he's probably gonna have to work the splitter in more and i wonder if that's my hope, I've not asked anybody in Detroit about any of this. My hope is this is a put the splitter kind of in your back pocket for a little bit. You can bring it out when you need a swing and miss, but we'd like to have you work on developing yourself as a more complete three to four pitch pitcher and you know establish the fastball more and do more of that and use the slider more as a swing and miss weapon, especially against right-handers, which he seems to be doing. He uses the splitter far, far more often against lefties, more than, I think it's about two-to-one ratio when he throws the splitter, it's to lefties more. So he's basically using it as his changeup. That's fine. I think the splitter is pretty effective against righties too. It's nasty. And would love to see a Casey Mize next year where he's throwing the splitter, you know, maybe a quarter of the time instead of 14% of the time. And, you know, in maybe taking away some of the sinkers because they do sort of serve the same purpose, right? It's really hard. If you get on top of a splitter, it dives. It's hard for a hitter to elevate that pitch. That could make him a higher strikeout guy and probably make him a little more effective overall as a pitcher. I would like to see that happen. Yeah, it seems like that gives him a better path to reach the long-term ceiling. Uh, Let's get to Ian Anderson for a moment. I think what he's doing right now seems pretty sustainable. A mid-threes ERA, a better-than-average whip. He's at a strikeout burning pace right now. Is this sort of the the level you expect from him most years, or do you see one more level that Anderson could consistently reach? Yeah, I Anderson. What we saw from Anderson last year was, and I've ranked, I'd always ranked him high, but he was so much better last year than I'd anticipated. Um, I was kind of taken aback, and I mean, there's definitely some. Um, there were some indicators in some of the more advanced data, like spin axis is something I think we've only really been talking about publicly for a year or so now, maybe a little more than that. Um, but I think that was a big part of why he's so effective and that why um, hitters have such a hard time distinguishing his four-seamer, which otherwise seems pretty unexceptional. Uh, his velocity is fine, but it's not a particularly high spin rate pitch. Um, it is. Uh, it does not have exceptional movement, but the hitters cannot see that and his change they have a hard time distinguishing that from his change up so much that it has made both pitches more effective um you know i think the curveball lags and the fact that he doesn't really have a plus breaking ball even i'd probably say the curveball is just solid average maybe a little better than that um in fact he doesn't really have a better breaking ball maybe that limits his ceiling maybe he's just like a consistently above average pitcher but not a star um that might be a little more in line with that might be a more reasonable expectation for him given what he is that said i also wonder when you see a guy like that like it's a really low spin curveball so it also makes me think well if they try a slider is that going to be much better maybe not maybe he's just not born to spin the ball 
but he's really deceptive. Could he cut it? Could he cut the four-seamer? And maybe that becomes another weapon for him to take the place of the missing breaking ball. It just seems like there's quite a bit that you could do with him. So I don't want to downplay him either. I don't want to say, well, he's never going to be better than a, you know, a good number three starter. That's not fair. He's young. His arm is great. And he hitters really have a hard time picking up those two pitches out of his hand in particular. There may be more there, but it may require some kind of tweak, a pitch change, an added pitch, a change to an existing pitch to which would be the curveball at this point. He's the delivery works. He's a strike thrower. He's got two pitches really working for him. I don't want to make anybody think I'm light on him or underestimating him, but I think the pitch mix that he is right now, we shouldn't be shocked that he's doing this versus repeating what he did last year. I think this is much more much more uh, of a match for the particular arsenal he has right now. Yeah, I think that all makes sense based on the pitcher that I expected Anderson to be learning about him over the last couple of years. I was surprised at how effective he was in that limited number of innings we saw him for last year. Mm-hmm. It seems like a really good floor skill set, and there's still room for him to get a bit better with those kinds of adjustments that you mentioned. Uh, Luis Patino is a guy that I'm still struggling with because I, I, I keep erring on the side that he's going to be special because mm-hmm. of age-to-level performances. And if you said over and under the current ratios for the rest of the season through the postseason, I'm saying 453 ERA, 128 whip so far, I snap take the under on both. Like I, I think he's better than he's been so far, even when it matters the most against the best possible competition the rest of the way. And it... It wouldn't surprise me if he is their ace until Tyler Glass now comes back, which is probably in 2023 at this point. Uh, what are you seeing from Patino thus far, and, and do you remain as high on him now as you were, you know, six plus months ago? Uh, it, it's a tremendous arm. I agree with you that the age, you know, performance for his age relative to level has definitely always marked him as a strong prospect um, with a lot of upside. He's really having a hard time with left-handed hitters in the majors. They've got over a 400 uh, 400 on base percentage against him. Um, He is also just like barely throwing a changeup. He's basically been four-seam slider this year, and those two pitches are plus. Uh, But he's got it. It's not even. I don't even know that it's the changeup isn't good. He just barely throws it. it hasn't been effective enough when he's thrown it, but he's not throwing it much. And changeup's such a you know, pitchers will describe that as such a feel pitch. How effective is your changeup going to be if you never throw it? He he needs to. I mean, that's that's ultimately what it's got to be. Is he's going to have to throw that more and have it become more effective, preferably yeah, not preferably, but conceivably with more experience, um, with more time throwing it. Or they're going to have to find something else for him. He's going to have to have a splitter or something something else. Because right now, against right-handers, he's an above-average starter. And against lefties, he's like a bad reliever. And that's just not going to work. I mean, he can't, you cannot roll this guy out as a member of a playoff rotation when he is this vulnerable, vulnerable against lefties. You look at how the Yankees have just loaded up to get some left-handed hitters. That's a pretty bad matchup for him. What if they got back against the Dodgers? Dodgers have some pretty good left-handed hitters in the lineup. There are some really bad matchups out there for him as they get into the postseason. That's, what are we, five weeks from October? Maybe there's just nothing to be done. But if I were in that race for an officer on the coaching staff, I'd say, you got to throw more change-ups. You've got to keep throwing this pitch um, for it to get better or we're stuck. You're, you're just, we're not going to be able to use you in a prominent role, in a high-leverage role, um, or as a starter in the postseason. 
Yeah, it's definitely a surprise. Since in the limited time we saw him last season in San Diego, 17.8% use of that changeup. That's a big drop year to year for him, especially with the Rays pushing him into that rotation. I'm curious to see if Shane Boz is going to come up because rosters are going to expand in September, right? Two more players on every mm-hmm. roster. The Rays are going to need innings. Obviously, most teams are going to use at least one of those spots on bullpen reinforcements. Maybe a lot of teams are going to end up using two guys, but Boz, to me, would be among the most interesting prospects that could still come up and make a pretty big impact. And then I'm curious what you think if they would ease him into that sort of two and three inning role that we described earlier, or if they might even push him a little bit more aggressively based on the success he's had in the minors this year. And he's been unbelievable in the minors this year, too. But he hasn't pitched that much, right? And just pulling up the game logs to make sure I'm not talking out of school here. He has his maximum number of outs recorded is 15. He has gone five innings max. Now he's done that seven times. Okay, that's nice. Batters faced, 21. 21 is his maximum batters faced. So you're not rolling him out to the rotation unless it says some some sort of modified opener, right? I think Shane Bass could help this team for sure. He has one outing all year where he's walked more than two batters. And the stuff is tremendous. So the fact that he's throwing strikes like this too, like one thing I was worried about him, and I remember guys saying this, scouts saying this about him in high school, was how good's the command going to be? Well, we'll see about the command, but the control's pretty damn good right now. So I would roll this guy out there in a major league rotation, even heading to the playoffs right now, except he's not facing, like he's twice through the order, max. And at this point, you know, him coming to the majors, he may not even be twice through the order. So I never exactly know what the Rays are going to do because they are always, it seems like there's always one eye on cost control for the future. But damn, he should be up, right? I mean, how, there's no better person for them to call up. And what, however they use him, he could help. Even if it's like you're, just, you're going three innings tonight. Okay. He, th- there'll be three great innings. I, I don't doubt that he could help them. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised the Rays have turned to Drew Rasmussen as a starter the way that they have, not because I didn't think he could be a starter in some capacity, just because I assumed that the Brewers' decision to move him to short relief was probably a health-related decision. Maybe this yes. is all by necessity that the Rays are pushing him, but he went five last time out. Like If you told me at the time of that trade, oh yeah, Drew Rasmussen's going to be going five innings by the end of August, I would have said, what are you talking about? Why would they do that? Yeah, I don't understand. It's four, four, and five his last three outings. This is a guy who had two Tommy John surgeries in a year. I mean, the Reyes drafted him and walked away because after the draft, they discovered that he needed a revision Tommy John surgery. He was less than a year, I think, off the surgery. He came, maybe that's not quite right. He came back to pitch for Oregon. So Oregon State rolled him right into a full rotation mode, less than a year off the surgery, and worked him like he had never been hurt. And sure enough, the elbow went again. We shouldn't be surprised by that. But I am absolutely shocked that Tampa Bay has now got him. He faced 20 batters last time out. I don't think he'd done that since college, actually, since the since between since before the second Tommy John surgery. And I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. I feel about 90 percent sure that that's right. And I mean, I don't know if they're just looking at him and saying he's going to break again at some point, so we might as well just get the best pitching out of him that we possibly can. Because I cannot imagine that they think that that's a better option than having Shane Boss come up and face 20 batters. Just a couple more players I want to talk about before we go. Tristan McKenzie, I think, is showing some signs of turning the corner in the second half. A 12.5% walk rate for the season is definitely concerning, but 
it just it looked like he was starting to put all of the pieces together here over these last few starts. And when I was watching him earlier in the year, fastball command was just a massive problem for him. Just could not locate at the top of the zone, which he needs to be in the top of the zone because he doesn't always hold premium velocity. No. And he's down right now with what they're calling right shoulder fatigue. This is always kind of the the underlying concern with McKenzie because of his frame, right? He's tall, yeah. but he's, he's very thin. Is he going to hold up physically over full big league seasons? We don't have an answer to that question just yet, but you can kind of pick a lane on this one. Is it a good follow-up to what we saw last year? Is it an okay follow-up, or is it is it disappointing? Like I err on the side that this is still more good than bad, even with an ERA that's been close to five. Yeah, I would agree. It's more good than bad. I'm surprised at the problems with just straight-up strike throwing. I never would have expected that from him. If you told me Tristan McKenzie came up and and had, uh, I wouldn't say struggled, but had a very up and down full season debut in the majors, I would say he got hit like third time through the order a lot, right? When the stuff sent, tends to taper off a little bit. He's not always, not really held velocity deep into starts. But first, even second time through, guys just, they're not going to pick the ball up. He's got such deception in the delivery, such huge extension out, out over his front side that I think all of his pitches, and he can work with four distinct pitches. Um, he hasn't thrown his change up, hasn't thrown his change up much at all this year, but it's there. He has one. Um, you know, I think that, um, if they chose to use him as a twice through the order starter, assuming, you know, setting aside the current health issues, we don't, I don't know how serious that is. But if they said, we're going to use you as a twice through the order starter for a while until you show increased durability, that's just, we're just going to pull, that's it. If you face 18 batters, great, you're coming out. He, I mean, he might be perfect for that. And maybe he'd be more effective in that role. I don't know. But I wonder if that, you know, not having to think about pacing himself to try to get deeper into games, would that affect him? Would he be able to hold the velocity a little better knowing that he's probably not going more than about 80, 90 pitches? Maybe I just handle him a little bit differently because as you said, the frame is, it's unusual. He's still very slight. Maybe he's always going to look like that. But I still think there's too much there in stuff and especially the way that his extension is some of the best in the majors. The way that that goes, that uh, the way that that works for him, I'd be very loath to try to move him out of a starter role. I still still think there's a lot more upside there. With that extension, he could probably get away with sitting 92, 93 yes. more often. And the secondaries are are fine, like they're good. Like so, he yep. he should be able to continue to build on what we saw more recently. The last eight starts before this IL stint, 48 Ks against eight walks in 49 innings. And he went at least six innings in six of those eight starts. So it really looked like he was turning the corner before this. Hopefully, I don't have to pull back on the usage because of the health concerns. So again, my optimism is really rooted in what we've seen more recently from him. I uh, will stay in the AL Central for the last guy we're going to talk about today, Daniel Lynch. It's been... A little better for him recently, too. It doesn't have quite the run that McKenzie was having before this IL stint, but what have you seen from Lynch so far in his first run against big league hitters? Yeah, well, this second time back up, he's looked a lot more like the Daniel Lynch I remember seeing as a prospect. Um, you know, he throws very hard, but that's actually not his best pitch. Um, I don't think he's really should be fastball heavy. It's a real four-pitch mix, though, and I think that there are multiple... He's got multiple weapons... Uh, to be able to get left and right-handed hitters out, and that 
an approach where he's really mixing up all four pitches is probably going to be the best one, where he's not throwing the fastball even 50% of the time. I mean, that's kind of the trend across baseball anyway. But the fact that he's up to 99, but without elite spin or movement means that, yeah, some hitters are going to, they're going to be on it. They're going to time it. And so his job is going to be to work with all three of his other pitches. I think the slider and the changeup both have a chance to be plus, if not better. Um, he uses the can use those and then just keep hitters constantly uncertain of what he's throwing. I think that's going to be his best. Um, that's going to be the best version of Lynch that we see. You know, he got bombed the first couple times up. The Royals were afraid that he was tipping his pitches. They sent him back down. They did some fairly minor tweaks. He doesn't look substantially different on on video. Obviously, he's going to probably look different to the hitters. But the fact that since then, he's really not had a, a disaster start. His one worst outing was against the Yankees, who, if nothing else, are patient. But other than that, it's been, you know, he's been pretty effective, pretty efficient also. I'd like to see the walks come down, but for a first, for, for a first run through the majors, I'm fine with this. And I like the fact that um, I give the Royals a lot of credit, too, for the way they stuck with him. You know, he was bad the first time out. We sent him down. We're working on X, Y, and Z. Okay, right back on the horse. We're going to keep pushing. Because the Royals, that that huge wave of college arms they drafted three, is that three years ago now, has not, um, you know, that hasn't really uh, resulted in, you know, I don't know, is Lynch the best of them so far? Right? Brady Singer still can't get lefties out. That's always been an issue. Bubich has not been up to expectations. Cowher's not quite been up to expectations. It's a pretty good group of arms. It's just they haven't made that last jump yet and for this royals team to get good which they've got this you know these three position player prospects who are coming pretty quickly they need some of these pitchers to now turn that corner or turn it as we go into 2022 and i feel like lynch is the furthest along of that group so far yeah and coar you know we saw what happened in this first couple big league starts he just could not throw strikes at all just i didn't look comfortable out there on the mound at all also fell into a pretty bad run at the end of July and beginning of August, just went six scoreless last time out against Columbus. Maybe he started to turn things back around at AAA, but man, he looked like he was so ready for the big leagues earlier this season with the dominance we saw at AAA. It's been a pretty big setback for him. I think Lynch still has the brightest future of that bunch, but mm-hmm. that's not really any sort of uh, outlandish sort of statement. I think he's always been expected to be the best of that group for, for most people anyway. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Baseball Show. Before we go, check out the Keith Law Show this week. Lauren Mayberry of Churches was Keith's guest. Really good conversation there. And a uh, new album from Churches, too. So if you're into their music, be sure to check that out. Blue that drops out today? Out fr- today, yes. I was going to say Friday, Thursday. Yeah, it's out. So listen to that wherever you like to listen to your music. You can hear me on Rates and Barrels and the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. New subscribers can get in the door for The Athletic at theathletic.com slash baseball show. Three ninety nine a month is the deal right now. And if you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to leave us a rating and review, we'd greatly appreciate it if you took a moment to do that. On Twitter, he's at Keith Law. I am at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show is back on Monday. Have a great weekend. 